0: Well, welcome back to another episode of The Miles Driven with me, Miles, and the world's best co-host, me. No language, no no language, no well, name, no name, are you no name. So just Mr. Clueless, Miles, and co-host here from yeah. The Miles Driven. Okay. That's what you should call me from now. My name shall be co-host, co-host, like co yeah. as a first name. Yeah, and, and then host. host. <laughs> so if we make any money from this, then I'll um, put the check to you as co. I don't first take cheque. Especially not from you. <laughs> oh, right, okay. I'll send it to a bank account named Co and then Host. Yeah, then. that's yeah. right. Okay, I'll change my name. <laughs> I, <laughs> I bet you would. <laughs> I can imagine you say, uh, say, there's mate, there's, I've just had a royalties check come through for uh, half a million quid. Do I send it to Co and Host, as in spelt that way? And you go, uh, yes, just give me a minute. I just need to call our uh, legal friend and have some uh, documents changed yeah. in my name. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it's Miles and Sam. And just oh. in case you're... We've had a, Are you a... booting me off already? No, <laughs> <laughs> We've had quite a few new listeners because we've been doing uh, the buyer's guides on YouTube. Right. And as they have become more popular. Sorry, I know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but because as they become more popular, what seems to happen is we release a new video and then we see it's quite odd because we obviously we get a spike in listeners on the day that a new podcast comes mm-hmm. out. So at the minute, that's just Tuesday. So we see, you know, the rest of the week sort of bumbles along then Tuesday. It, everyone obviously downloads an episode around Tuesday, maybe Wednesday. And then it sort of drops off until next week. But because the videos come out on a different day, we have this sort of second peak in the analytics where you can see we just go up. And when I looked at it, I couldn't make... I think I sent it to you. Yeah. I was like, what's happened here? Why why is on this random day? Just a good day for podcasting. And then I realised it's because a lot of people have watched the YouTube videos and we mentioned it in the YouTube videos so they've come across. So welcome if you have come across and you listened for the first time. But it's Miles and Sam. And go back to episode three and listen from there. Uh, Yes. I mean, you can go back to episode one, but to be honest, the first, what was it, the first 20 episodes are not not our peak sound quality. Then we get better on sound quality because we switched bits of our studio around, and now we've got our full studio, so it sounds even better. Anyway, on to the content for today, which is, I think I'm going to call it the supercharged epi- uh, episode. Ooh. Yeah. It's promising a lot. Yeah. not It's not to do with uh, electric charging. It's actual superchargers, just in case people are wondering. Very good. Now. I thought it'd probably be best, instead of you and I sort of talking about um, why superchargers are kind of disappearing from cars and some of the reasons around that, to sort of put the groundwork for what a supercharger is, because I think a lot of people have heard what is you know a turbocharger and they've heard a supercharger, so they bought a car and someone said, "Oh, that's a supercharged one." They've bought a car, they said, "Oh, it's a turbocharged one." But knowing the difference, I don't think I think it's just like it's one of those terms that you hear. Like you hear people, you know, you can buy a diesel car. We'll just know, okay, I've still got an engine, but it runs off diesel it's fuel. Usually a bit louder. Yes. Um, and I've got to remember to put the right. Yeah. Don't, yeah, don't, don't put the them. green nozzle in. Yeah. Or if uh, you're you listen. You live in a country where diesel is the green nozzle. Yeah. Which is funny because in the US it's the opposite. Oh, is it? It's quite literally the opposite. Ah. Yeah. I remember when I got, when I was there and I got to a fuel station, <laughs> I was like, there's three black pumps. Interesting. And I turned around and I was like that's weird, but they, they had different octanes and I realised, yes, no, I've seen this before, this is three petrol, or gas, as mm-hmm. they call it, pumps and the diesel's like around the back for trucks, like they're just oh, okay. whereas we have two petrols and a diesel at most um, sort of stops, they just have like one or two diesels, or depending on the station, but anyway, because of that I just think it's better for us to cover off what a supercharger is first then, Affirmative. We'll, then we'll sort of talk about you know where they're going. So, critical differences. If you've heard of either one, they're both increasing the amount of air going into the engine. That's fundamentally what their what their function does. And it's why if you ever see cars that go to high altitude, people talk about having some a forced induction of some type because basically you're forcing more air in an area that has less air. Mm-hmm. So if you've got force induction, at least you're not losing as much. Yeah. yeah. Although from your peak you are, but at least you've still got enough to keep the thing going. Yeah. Now, the big difference is, and why you see a lot of cars uh, turbocharging, is that turbocharging basically is using the exhaust gas. So, you know, you start your engine, you press the throttle, and fuel goes in, and obviously gases come out, that spins up one side of a turbocharger, which spins up another side and that's what causes the increase in, in air quality. Oh sorry, in air coming into the engine. But that's why you get turbo lag. That's exactly why you get turbo lag, yeah. Because it takes a second for you know, you've put the fuel in, you've increased the amount of air coming out. You can't put the you can't put the fumes in. Sorry, you can't put the gases in before they've been made. Exactly. This is why you could try. There was a really clever bit of um technology done with turbos. Uh, And it's why the hot V turbo came out, because it brought the turbos into the V... So if you had a V6 or a V8, Mm -hmm. they put the turbos sort of in that V shape, in the very middle, which is where, years ago, you'd be like, that's insanity, it's so hot there, that they'll they'll really struggle, and they'll just blow up. But, you know, modern cooling and stuff, they said, okay, no, we can do it. And because they're closer, the exhaust gases, because it's right near the chamber, obviously it spools up faster than it does if it's... Further back, so the further away you've got the turbo, you know, you yeah, if you've yeah, went... you've got it in the boot. Exactly, that's yeah. going to take a while. It's, it's going to take a bit longer than if it's right next to it. Now, the the other thing is, like Sam said, there's a delay in turbos, which is as I say being finer and finer tuned. And the Audi SQ7 used an electric motor to spin up the turbos okay. in advance, so you did it almost completely lost the lag rally cars have something called an anti lag system which i don't want to lose people too early on in this podcast so i'm not going to go into turbocharging too technically right okay because we're a supercharger episode mm-hmm. we might have a turbocharger episode in the future this is a supercharger episode <laughs> so from there you've got then the other way of forcing air into the engine which is supercharging and what that does is it's using a belt that it's wrapped around you you, know, you sort of if you imagine where, I'm trying to think, I'm trying to explain it easily for people, because obviously our engines aren't always, some of them yeah. are long ways, some of them are horizontal. Mm-hmm. Um, Just explain it as if they're sort of long ways. Yeah, so if you looked at the front of it, then you would see a belt coming sort of from the crank or the uh, a pulley at the very bottom mm-hmm. to the top. And as that bottom one spins up, it spins the top one. And so it's an instant, because the second that spins faster, it can spin the top faster, and the second the top of it, which is the supercharger, spins up faster, the more air. So it's it's a, an immediacy, yeah. And it's why a lot of people say, "Well, I don't get why a supercharger isn't more popular because, like you said, the one drawback with the turbocharger is yeah. that it it has this lag, mm-hmm. and even if you have a hot V system, there's still some lag because yeah, it can't be instant because it still has to get yeah. Whereas with a supercharger, as you're spinning up. The engine you're spinning up the supercharger yeah it, uh, they're connected by a belt so it's immediate you know this um this action and it's what's led to people thinking well surely if you're trying to run faster more power more efficiency you want everything quicker because the whole yeah. thing of you know if you're if you don't need to push your engine very hard then you get more fuel efficiency as sam has found out with fuel prices going up and up and up he's decided that 2000 rpm is the Absolute hey, limit. The Astra is currently up to on average. Yeah. I reset about fifteen hundred miles ago. I reset my average MPG. Yeah. What do you reckon I'm up to? Fifteen hundred miles ago. Yeah. Uh, Which is about that's so a few weeks. It's <laughs> the whole time. Yeah, no. As I say, it's the whole time you've been driving efficiently. Because I was trying to think when you started driving. Yeah, yeah. When I started consciously trying to drive. So that was a few months ago now, wasn't uh, so it? So I'm doing yeah. at least two hundred miles a week. So it's only going to be. Six or seven weeks. Okay, uh I would say because you were quite surprised. Forty-four. Ah, that's less, in less enthusiastic. Forty-one point one. That's still very good. That's still very as good as an average. Yeah, considering I uh, will have the odd day where I've got a little bit of petrol left over at the end of the week. Feel okay. like a bit of a jersey drive. <laughs> Get it up to two and a half thousand. <laughs> <laughs> but by doing that, you know you're saving fuel. Yeah, and so the the, the argument goes that if you use a supercharger. Because you get the power instantaneously. Yeah. So, as you put the, your foot down, say at 1500 RPM, the engine spins up and it spins up the supercharger immediately. Now, of course, it doesn't spin up, you know, you, the faster you go, the faster everything spins, the more power. Yeah. So, it still has a regular power band, just like turbos in a lot of ways. I know modern efficient engines mean that the torque comes in. I, I, I say I don't want to lose too many people too early on, but essentially engineers have been trying for the last decade really to make engines produce as much of their torque at lo- as the lowest point possible yeah. and it's why electric cars from pe- from from an engineer standpoint it kind of it it almost defeats exactly what they've been trying to do it without any effort yeah because they deliver 100% of torque at zero yeah Whereas, you know, they've been thinking all these different clever ways. Can we supercharge it if we put a turbo in there? Naturally aspirated with a big engine. How can we tune it and tune it and tune it and fine tune it? And then someone says, well, if you just put a battery in, you have 100% of torque at zero. Yeah. (laughs) So, you know, um, which is where most drivers, if you think for a lot of people, they drive between 0 to 50 Mm -hmm. and then they just drive between 70 and 80 if they're just cruising along. Yeah. Well, Christ, some people go that fast. Yeah. (laughs) Well, you used to, mate. Yeah, 60 is the yes, maximum, that's what I to say, yeah. maybe 63 new, on a good day. New efficient, Sam. Yes. Never goes near, there, there might as well be tape over half of the speedo. Well, the throttle might as well not go down as much as it does. Oh, yeah, because I, I just sort of rest my foot on the yes. throttle now. <laughs> might as well have a bit of a, like a wine cork behind it. Yeah. Just to raise the stopper. Yeah, just so it can't ever be yes. used like that. Um. So the, the advantage that we're sort of getting at with a supercharger is you would think at least... If you look at it as a, as a layman, if you look at it from outside and you think, well, you've, you want to create as much power as quickly as possible. Why don't all engines just have a supercharger? Because although it's obviously pulling off the engine to, to speed up, mm-hmm. it's immediate and people don't need to push the engine as hard to then get the power from it. Yeah. And, you know, you still get that. So why don't we do that? So why don't we do that? Well two major reasons one of the, one of it is actually efficiency and it's counter uh, it's obvious when you think about it but may not be so w- what we're talking about is how you drive yeah engineers are looking for an engineering solution mm-hmm. not a uh, consumer driver solution so they're yeah. trying to think well the average person is not thinking about this how can we make it efficient for them because the turbo uses the exhaust gases it's basically spinning up for free Because you would create those exhaust gases anyway. Yeah, so it's using something that's already there. Yeah, so that hot, that sort of hot side of the turbo that's getting the exhaust gases, it can spin up the other side of the turbo, which pulls in more air. And there will be a very small cost, but it's basically free of charge, Mm -hmm. if you like. Uh, There is obviously cooling and other stuff that has to go in, but we won't cover that too much, because I say we're doing a supercharger episode. Now, the thing with a supercharger is it's what's referred to as parasitic. So, to run the supercharger, if you turn your engine on, to spin up the supercharger, you need the engine to power the supercharger spinning at idle. Yeah. And so, some of the power that the engine's created is having to be used just to spin this extra device on top of it. Because it's connected to the engine. Yeah. By a belt. Yeah. So, So, if the engine is moving, the belt is moving, therefore, the supercharger is moving there's some resistance on the belt to obviously make that move, so the engine is having to work to make that belt move. Yeah, exactly that. Uh, it, Sam might have said that too quietly for when we did the oh, end. Really? yeah. Oh, just I just so I speaking know. at normal volume. Uh, it, it, I t- I've said this before that sometimes if I'm speaking for a while, right, yeah, sort okay. of it sort of uh, averages at my level, and yeah. then I try and match us. And, oh, okay. and you sort of give a, quite a precise moment where you talk like this, and yeah. it's like, oh, I can I do anything. When I go me. into something, sort of yeah. That's yeah. in detail. Yeah. Then, <laughs> then you sort of drop it. Sam I need to s- stick to the comedy. Yes. Let you do the facts. <laughs> Sam's the sort of person. If he had a class, he would be like, uh, you know, like if you were giving a, a lecture, you'd be the person where everyone has to sit near the front, because you'd be like, oh, hi, everyone, welcome, welcome. Now today we are going to. Yeah. People probably can't even <laughs> hear me joking about that because it's going to be below our our decibel cutoff. <laughs> but yeah, you would be like those professors that sort of sit. I told you I used to have a history professor, and he used to recite history without a textbook. He'd come in, yeah. sit at a desk, stare blankly at the table in front of him, hunched over, and recite history. And once he went back 2,000 years. We were 200 years back, mm-hmm. history-wise. And he said, to understand this, we really have to go back 1,700 years before that, too. And all of us, we are already lost. Yeah. Because there's, there's no cues anywhere. There's nothing on the board. There's nothing yeah. written anywhere. He's not told us to prepare anything. So unless you're a verbal learner. Yeah, you had to be a verbal <laughs> learner—that was for sure. <laughs> and you'd take notes, but when you're taking notes, sort of saying, "Okay, so this happened, then this happened," and someone says, "But well, now we need to go seventeen hundred years back," and you have to draw a massive line. Yeah. Okay, ignore everything for seventeen hundred years <laughs> for a second. This happened, and somehow it affects this. So yeah, just just in case anyone, uh, didn't sorry, I that. shall shout any fact. There we go. No, I sh- sh- <laughs> so, be- but because of that parasitic loss, because the engine has to basically power up the supercharger, your total power you create has a minus attached to it. So let's say you could create 800 brake horsepower with an engine and a supercharger, mm-hmm. but you need, say, 500... Uh, say so, Sorry, you need 150 horsepower just to power the supercharger, then your net is 650. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, I did that right, 650. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you had 800 horsepower in a turbocharged engine, the the cost is like nothing. Doesn't sound as cool, though, does it? No, and it's there's a really, really interesting point to this. We've pretty much in Europe lost supercharged engines. Yeah. Now, the exception would be uh, Land Rover will still sell supercharged engines. If you yeah. go for their both their 3-litre V6 and their 5-litre V8 are still supercharged. However, I think they have a 2-litre, which is definitely a turbo because it's from Ford. And I'm thinking that the 3 litre is about to become turbocharged as well. Now, the reason in Europe they do that is because they're always looking for smarter, more technical answers to things. And costs be damned a little bit. So when you say, you know, to Audi, okay, but if you fit uh, a turbocharged to this, the position you're going to have to put it in would mean that if it ever fails, you have to remove the engine. Okay. And in some countries, in America, for example, the the designers go, that would probably be unacceptable to our customers because mm-hmm. having to remove an engine to do what would, you know, like a $1,000 worth of work becomes $4,000. Almost basic maintenance. Yes. Almost. But also because their, their sort of approach to build is it can fail. The German mm-hmm. approach is genuinely, no, it doesn't fail. Yeah. Which is Let's why- Let's they- make it so it doesn't fail. Yeah then we can stick it inside yeah. the combustion chamber exactly directly. and some mechanics listening to this have fallen off their chair with the idea of german cars or british cars or french cars well, yeah. don't fail because european uh, i think german cars particularly have got this halo around them of reliability they really do they because Whereas the the only car that's ever failed on me was my van yeah which was a Volkswagen yeah And the only cars that have really... Oh, I had a Seat, which is built by, well, Volkswagen parts. Yes, a German group. That had a massive problem because the gearbox went bang. Uh, My Audi S3 had multiple issues uh, and multiple problems. My Civic Type R didn't have a single one. No. Your Golf GTI had... So a few had, issues sam was um under that car more than he was sat in it i think so again and your bmw all of your bmws have been absolutely awful <laughs> so what we can what we can glean from this yeah. is that maybe they shouldn't have the halo that they do for reliability no i think the problem is they, they build them i know we're going off supercharged for a second don't worry we'll come back they build them to feel very very sturdy yeah so from a consumer basis you hear the clunk of the door you feel that you know the drive feels very secure, like a Volvo also has this yeah. effect. And to the average person that doesn't really know too much past the feel of a car, as in, d- you describe them as solid. Yes, you would, yeah. that, and that's generally how they get. A, you know, but then, what would scene. you say gets a bad rep, reliability-wise? Uh, anything French. Yeah. Does British stuff. Yeah. does. Um, but there's one that gets a, a bad rep that it really shouldn't. Oh, you're thinking Vauxhall. No, I'm just thinking Asian. Oh, so, Korean. Japanese and... Uh, Japanese generally is seen that it falls apart, but it will run forever, most yeah. Japanese stuff. but uh, not necessarily true anymore. Oh, absolutely not. I mean, do you know what I mean? I'm just trying, I was no, trying no, to get no, yeah, across yeah. the point Sorry. that, look, some car countries have yeah. halos around them Yeah, when they shouldn't. And others are seen, a, well, that's Japanese. That will fall apart and it will rattle. And yeah. But the engine might last, but the, the whole car last, won't be there. And it's so... It's based on some... You know, the first batch of Japanese cars to come to Europe and the USA, or North America I should because they went to Canada and rusted straight through as well. Yeah. <laughs> is that they didn't weatherproof them. Whereas obviously if you're Volkswagen, you, you from from the seventies you were like, Okay, we should lift the the side of the car up yeah. and fire uh sort of stones at the bottom of it. Mm-hmm. And then we should put it in, you know, sort of a salt bath and see what condition it's in. Yeah. And then they decided that holes were unacceptable. And so they started, you know, doing all these different types of weather treatments, galvanizing bits of it, and all that sort of stuff. All the bits that have become very important. Yeah. The different, and obviously the Japanese, for whatever reason, cost would have been some of it. Partly they didn't salt their roads. Yeah, so they they didn't know that they they needed to do it. They exported this stuff very, very cheaply to buy, and said, well, it works. Everyone went. Yeah, it works, but my wheels have rusted in half. Yeah, as you know, and when I sold Mazdas only twelve years ago, it corros wheels with you know the bubbling on the yeah, wheels yeah. that was still a problem. Yeah, which is just mental. But a lot of these manufacturers learned that, and it's why a lot of them, if they sell cars to Europe for the European market, as in they know it's going to Europe, they know it's going to America, yeah. Canada, they know it's going to countries that. Will salt roads will have poor weather, etc., etc., and so they've had to start building them much more solidly than they ever did before. Mm -hmm. So I think, but they don't. They still don't feel. I mean, if you get in most Japanese cars, they still they don't have the the solid feeling of the door and that sort of stuff. But they're just as safe, most of them. I mean, you know, we're we're talking very average, like for likes here. I'm not saying that. I don't know a, a Suzuki. Um, Swift Ignis Ignis is as tough as a brand new F150 uh, you know <laughs> could be though could be yeah, well, yeah. you know an Audi A8 is, would probably take an accident better than a Suzuki Ignis maybe but it's not to say you know when you're doing like for like yeah I mean a smart car which is owned by Mercedes if that went into the same sort of incident I don't think it would come out I'm still convinced if you brake sharply in a smart car it will just roll over and and just, just fall over forward. <laughs> Um, But the, the point to that is that their design does come into this, and it happened with, um, I was speaking to your brother this weekend about his car. Yes, you were. Because I said, oh, you've got the diesel engine that has a cam chain, yeah. known issue. I said, the problem is long intervals are quoted for the servicing and the chain is at the back of the engine, which just means that to get to it, most garages either have to have a very good, I wouldn't say bodge, but sort of work around yeah. to save labor time, or they just have to drop the engine. So it's just one of those designs where if they'd thought about it and they were thinking maintenance wise, they go, hmm, let's, you know, we'll have to compromise some of the vehicle's driving characteristics to do this. Well, generally, European cars don't. Whereas American cars, there seems to be more of a conversation of what's cost effective, what do customers want. And can Billy Bob in his, you know, tiny little shack yeah. fix this versus a main dealer? And because of that, superchargers have remained popular because they're cheaper, they're more sim they're, they're, the simplicity of them is, yeah. is much easier for people to work on and much easier to understand for a lot of people. And if they break, you know, if you snap the belt on a supercharger, then you're just going to have a huge loss in power as long as it's not interference as long as it doesn't yeah, run it hasn't broken everything else on yeah, the way yeah it hasn't taken everything else on the way through but if you just snapped a supercharger belt supercharger won't work as long as you know the time the, the timing of the engine should still be okay yeah. as long as it hasn't say hasn't taken something else out on its way out and then you have just got to do. replace a belt replace the belt and your supercharger will work again you might have an engine light on because it wonders what what's just happened yes if a turbo goes pop and it's at the back of an engine which being that you know cars today are expected to do much much higher mileage than they've ever done before yeah Uh, and people's requirements for servicing, people's demands for servicing are bizarre to me like people think oh i don't want to service my car very often it's like i understand you want to save money but there's a classic saying of oil is cheap and engines are expensive yeah but also there's there's places you want to save money and Maintenance of your car is probably not one of them. No, I mean there's like maybe have a couple of less takeaways a month and yeah save the money from <laughs> that or something. you can do without that. What you can't do without is your car, working. particularly the engine. Yeah, like it's not a description of someone saying, "Oh, I want to put on the really nice tires, but you know I haven't quite got the money. I'll put on the okay tires." I would nah. rather yeah, <laughs> <laughs> just get the ditch finders. Yeah, just find, get the ditch Just Understand the limitations cheapest. of your car. Yeah, but. When someone's saying, well, look, you're going to have to do an oil change and really just do it every X number of miles and someone goes, oh, I just want to do it every 20,000. I just don't want to be in the dealer. And it's like, well, parts where they're lubricated by just oil, Yeah. an engine still heats up and cools down and heats up and cools down as it has done since the combustion engine was invented. So oil obviously has got better technology behind it, but it can only, you know, it, this is not a huge cost we're no. talking about but because of that yeah there's there's going to be more pressure on things like turbochargers that need cooling and everything else what was it i did a buyers guide for um the C- Porsche Cayenne the first generation yeah and they decide and i have no idea why porsche decided i genuinely have no idea because you'd say oh it's cost saving but this is porsche yeah they run the coolant pipes through the middle of the v on the turbo model right and what happens is, over the top, they're plastic. Okay. So as you can imagine, they heat up, they cool down, they heat up, they cool down, and after a decade, they crack. Yeah. Obviously. Which, if you catch early and you know a little bit about cars, you see there's coolant leaking from around my engine. I should take it to the garage, and the garage mm-hmm. say, "Good thing you got here in time, because your engine—that's the coolant system for the—you t- know—to cool- keep the turbos cool." Yeah. This whole thing would have gone bang. But people who don't notice keep driving, keep driving, and by the time smoke is coming out of the bonnet, <laughs> then they think, "Oh no, I've got to sell it." And then you turn up, and then I turn <laughs> up with Sam, and I go, "Oh, this looks like a bargain, Sam. Well, I reckon, I few, reckon we can fix this on your drive. Half an hour on your driveway with a jack stand, and we'll be there." <laughs> yeah. um, so going back to turbo, uh, sorry, superchargers. I hope we've sort of clarified how they work. So you, the and the one of the reasons why we we've stopped seeing them so much is an efficiency argument against them because they take power to run. They're parasitic. I mean, it's fair. If it's you asked anyone that owned a Mini Cooper S. The R53, the one that I looked at by. Yeah. yeah. They would probably say to you, not the most economical car I've ever driven. Probably what they would say, though. Great fun. Great fun. And you know the worst thing, Sam? Do you know what wor- that car... Having having been in one, yep. I'd say, yes, they are quite fun. Terrifying to be a passenger. Yes, I bet. <laughs> that car was replaced. So the Mini Cooper S, R53, if you're not familiar with it, it's 2001 to 2006 they were supercharged okay and cheap as chips yeah and (laughs) even today uh, that's what i mean yeah yeah. today you pick one up for about i mean (laughs) even when they were new yeah from the market they were in they were incredible value now they were replaced with a 1.6 liter turbo engine yay which had a catastrophic cam chain failure right as in they went from a problem which was, you know, superchargers in efficiency, but an owner sort of... You're a bit limited to where you can go with power. You can put a smaller pulley on them. Mm-hmm. You um, can remap engines, things like that. But really, you you need to put a bigger supercharger on. That's yeah. where you go up and up and up. And it's... John Cooper Works ones, you know, you can do a little bit to the mapping, but with turbos, there's probably more... Well, not probably. There is sort of more scope, particularly if you're working in a tight engine bay. Because a yeah. Mini Cooper, you could say... Oh well, I'll just put a bigger supercharger on, and then try and close the bonnet, and realise ah yeah. can't do that. <laughs> you know, um, so there is all these different limitations that if again if you've got a big V eight, um, I don't know, muscle car in America, the engine on uh, the space under the hood is so big. Yeah, they just go well. Let's just put a bigger supercharger on it, and oh, not enough power. Let's put a I mean, we've got so much space here. We could we could put another engine under if we wanted to. you know? And remove one of the headlights to make more room. Yes, for exactly. Air intake. yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, what has happened? The the sort of continents have drifted a little bit. Now, the Japanese, interestingly, they seemed almost non-committal. They've looked at ways over the years. You know, VTEC for for Honda. Yep. Uh, there was the VVTi system in Toyotas. Yep. Now they went very early. They went to batteries. They okay. went hybrid very early. So they said, well, yeah, we do need a boost. Instead of trying to work out a way to do it with turbochargers and superchargers, what about if we just put a small battery in, get that to charge up off the engine? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of working in the same ethos as a turbo. You're sort of trying to use some free stuff that you can scavenge to create yeah. more power. Um, I could go into all the different manufacturers, but I think people get the point. Is that, you know, they there's a few exceptions to nissan gtr for example but went turbocharging now because of that when there's been this desire for efficiency this desire for more power there's a few engines that in europe have gone supercharged i think mercedes have gone with it Uh, audi interestingly audi had naturally aspirated v8 in the s5 and then they went to a supercharged one and then they went to a turbocharged one Interesting. They did try trying all the options. Yeah, they did. Yeah, it's really interesting. I, I can only think the reason they did it was a space issue. Yeah, because they'd sort of built the the chassis around having you know a two point seven turbo diesel, a two liter petrol turbo, and a four point two V eight, and possibly when they tried to fit in a turbo, yeah. you know, they just went, it just oh, didn't work. Just can't get it in between the bulkhead and everything else. So they went, oh, well, the supercharger will do. And it's still a three liter supercharged engine was still more efficient at least on paper. Than a naturally aspirated V8. Yeah, this fair. is where we get into the minutiae of it because it depends how hard you work an engine. If you're cruising at 70, then a one liter three cylinder engine would just be screaming. Yep, but it will it will still have less fuel being injected in it because it's only got a one liter air capacity yeah. to mix with the fuel. So <laughs> it's whereas if you've got a a seven liter V8, it's still uh, although it's barely working and it will be very fuel efficient for its specific output yeah it's still going to be using a lot it's still going to be using more more because it's just got more capacity Mm -hmm. um, to to use fuel so because of that what we've seen in europe is we've seen sort of downsizing mixed with turbocharging because you can get the same horsepower figures and how a lot of people buy cars is what's the horsepower figure what does the 060 figure say what's the mpg figure say And then they sort of sit in it, they close the doors, they hear the clunk of the door and they see the big boot space and they think, this is a good car, and they buy it. Yeah. In the US, because the US buy a slightly different style of car, like hot hatches are not as popular there as, say... you barely see them, do you? No, I find it a bit odd. Like, for example, just as a very basic one, the Audi S3. Yeah. So there's a new generation that's been out for a couple of years. In the UK, you can have it as a hatchback and you can have it as a saloon. Yeah. In America you can only have it as a saloon. Really? Yeah, you can't have the hatchback version. And it's like they could offer it because I mean they build the body shell. Yeah, but this this is nothing for them to just say, "Oh, we'll just give them the option because we've got to ship it over there anyway." Yeah. Like to us, it's going to be built in a factory, it's going to be put on a truck, put onto a boat and shipped over there. So whether they pick the hatchback or but for simplicity, they just go they won't want it. So they'll give them the saloon. So generally, they get sort of coupe shape or they get saloon shape. But that leans itself a bit more to having um, the space and, because of fuel prices and everything else, to have larger displacement engines that are simpler, thus cheaper. Okay. So whereas one of the big issues you have with having turbocharged engines is cost. You've got a lot. There's just a lot of stuff going on. And because, you know, you're trying to get more and more out of it, it's more and more complex, it's a higher cost to, to them purchase because you've got all these different, you know, different R&D that's gone into it. Yeah, which is understandable. When your ethos is strap a bigger supercharger onto it, or <laughs> what is also known as the Dodge way of doing it, yeah. <laughs> you know, sort of, uh, okay, we need more power. Well, we've got a 25-year-old chassis so we could well, we've got this massive space so why not just put a larger supercharger on top of our engine genius And that's well, which is why they don't need an R&D department well, <laughs> the R&D department is just drawing superchargers yeah. <laughs> weirdly shaped and larger yeah. superchargers yeah. now uh, Sam brought up the R53 uh, Mini Cooper S and I think the really interesting point for, from an enthusiast's point of view superchargers can be a lot more fun a, Sam, you mentioned it, they don't have lag. Or mm-hmm. don't, you know, or imperceptible Yeah, lag because it, the belt spins and it spins and it goes. So it's, you know, there's, it'll be in milliseconds. Turbos, there is lag. Now it's got a lot better, but there is lag. The way the power is delivered it also, it follows more of a standard sort of power curve of a naturally aspirated engine because you have to spin the engine up to spin supercharger faster so the one is affecting the other which then affects the other it's like this never ending really vicious cycle (laughs) yes we spin up the engine faster which spins up the supercharger faster which spins up the engine faster which spins so it's yeah you know whereas with a a turbocharger it's spinning at such a high rate that it's sort of ahead of the engine or it's creating power wise you know so that's why you get this massive lump of torque which is great for that sort of straight line if you just you know You're sitting at say 30 and you decide I just want to floor it, delay and then go. It's why the Bugatti chiron and the Bugatti Viron went with a quad turbo engine, it's like nothing, and now you're a mile away. Yeah. 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 Um whereas with with supercharging, you've got that sort of natural, so you're picking up, picking up, picking up, and then it'll always be at the very top, is where you're gonna have the majority of your power, because you've got to spin the engine, spin the supercharger, yeah. so the faster the engine spins, the faster the supercharger spins. That's all led to this, as I say, this sort of difference of opinion with only a few companies left that are trying to achieve the smoothness and happy to lose the efficiency. And generally, it's we're seeing at the very top end, I said, Range Rover, the new yeah. five litre, engine. well, it'll be a carryover, but five litre supercharged, because they know their customers are just like well i just want it to be smooth acceleration and although you know the diesels have that big torque curve and everything else people who want the five liter they want that just sort of smooth wafting i was here and now i'm far away yeah, you know? yeah. Uh, whereas, i want to do it in a serene and dignified way yeah and so having you know just the supercharger on top also from a maintenance point of view and i i find it interesting because i suppose there isn't the i wouldn't call it arrogance i'd just say it was confidence it's, you know if when mercedes build a car when bmw build a car despite what issues their previous model may have had they're a bit like a ferrari ferrari will build something and say this is the best car in the world yeah and so they'll say this car is not going to have a problem and you say well you said that about the last one and it's on fire yeah <laughs> and it had a very expensive bill for a lot of people yes but this one will not 10 years down the line, this is one of the biggest issues, and why people say there's n- very few cars more expensive than a cheap and then insert German okay. prestige brand. You know, yeah, very few more expensive cars than a cheap BMW. Mm-hmm. Because now. Well, you've definitely found that out. I definitely have. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's the thing is, because there's so many bits that probably haven't been maintained or haven't been properly maintained or have been costly for owners that may not have been so bothered. Well, your people just want the prestige of the brand. They're not necessarily yeah. bothered about the maintenance that comes with it. Whereas if you buy, um you know, a Chevrolet over in the US, you, you're not doing it for some sort of prestige. You're not trying to. No. Uh, but if it's got a big supercharged engine, and then you go, I say, to Billy Bob, who, who's been taking care of your family cars for years, and you say, oh, I've got the new one. Yeah, it's the new one. It's And he looks at it and he thinks, well... It's the same sort of thing. It's a bit updated, but I mean, it's just a supercharger on top of a V eight, and I know yeah. V 8s very well, and I know supercharger very well. So yeah, no problem. And you start to have an issue with it, and he's like, "Oh yeah, we can just replace this one part." And whereas, you know, you bring him a very complex turbo car for a start, he's thinking, <laughs> "Well, I haven't got the coding I need to check what the computer yeah. says is the problem," and then if I want to get back there. I either need to put a small child with their tiny hands to get in and they're not going to have the strength to move the bolts anyway, or I need to drop the engine. And so you, you have these issues where a 10 or 12-year-old car goes into I a... I thought you were going to say there was a 10 or 12 year 12-year-old child going into <laughs> engine bay. <base. laughs> uh, what was it? I did a... Um, oh, what was the buyer's guide? Oh, it was Audi RS6, the C5 generation. We just did it. Uh, as mm-hmm. this comes out to you, it would have been a while ago because um, I say we just did it. It was actually our old video. Previous video that we've yeah, from a week before, I've not made the sentence very easy to understand. There have I not at all? No, but there was, um, it's so tightly packed the 4.2 V8 by turbo in there to get literally O2 sensors. Some garages, and I think a lot of garages, because I was on the owners forums trying to check is this legitimate or are people just sort of complaining on a forum? Most people were being quoted engine out. So you've got, say, a 150-pound O2 sensor. Yeah. And you're being charged at, say, three and (laughs) a half thousand pounds. Yeah. And you're like, well, the parts, a couple of hundred quid. You know, well, you might as well do both. So there's 300 quid in parts. And the garage is just like, yeah. You can come and do it. Yeah. We've (laughs) got to remove the... we've We've got to basically take the engine out, either from the front, from the bottom, from the top, whatever we've got to do. Then we've got to fit the part. Then we've got to put it in. And what gets people then is the all-while-you're-there oh, jobs. Yeah. Well, if we've got the engine out, you may as well do every other small bit of maintenance, which, because it's, they're in relative terms, cheap. I mean, you spent 3000 to remove the engine. Yeah, it, you... d- it does make sense, and that... <laughs> Some garages will obviously be trying to rip you off, but of course. a lot of the garages aren't actually trying to rip you off with it. They're actually genuinely just saying, They're in while position, we have this engine yeah. out of the car, do you want to do these other bits that may come up in the future and save you having to pay another two and a half grand in labour? Yeah, and where your complaint really should be is, why Why has someone designed an engine yeah. to be, have to be removed? <laughs> now, this is where, if you were really keen, this is why Sam and I have been passionately pushing for people to be more interested in their cars because there is some absolutely fantastic gems of vehicles out there that are undervalued i say for what they are because the cost of working on them is so high but if you're working on them at home do not buy them as your daily car right (laughs) because of course the job will take three weeks it will look (laughs) like it'll take three hours and it'll be dead in the garage but that you know that RS 6 is just a great example porsche cayenne's the same thing you buy one And people don't want to touch it when it's old, because if they don't have a lot of mechanical knowledge, they know every time it goes into the garage, it will be the value of the car to repair it. And the garage, you could say, oh, they're rip-off, you know, whatever else. But actually, they're just sort of faced with a situation of, well, get someone else to work on it. Yeah. They're just like, well... We don't don't actually want this job. No. (laughs) Like, there's, there's so many other cars that are just in for oil change, brake change, or that have that are easier to work on than yours yeah you take take this one away mate we've got a bloke driving his car yeah it's like with no <laughs> brakes <laughs> we'll do that but i've and i've seen it because you know i worked at a garage um for quite a while and you would see the attitude of a mechanic yeah you know, look they'll always get the job done but when they get something put on their ramp and they know there's no shortcuts for them to sort of figure out. And I don't mean shortcuts as in cutting corners. I mean, mechanics are always trying to be more efficient with their time. Yeah. How and, can I get to this without having to yeah. necessarily take this off when it doesn't need to come yeah. off? And they'll sort of say, well, if I can do this and do that. And it just, it's more efficient. It still gets the job done. Everything will still be fine. But, I, you know, they'll always look for that. But if it's a very complex car, they know it's by the book or it's nothing. Yeah. And a lot of the time, if they don't work on it very regularly, It goes over their time hours, which means they're not going to hit their targets for the week. So they just don't like they'll they'll look at it and they'll they'll charge extra because they're like if anything is seized, you know, bolt that is seized, and you're talking about a fifteen year old car, many bolts are seized. (laughs) I know that. (laughs) Yeah. So they're just looking at it like, well, this is a lot of work, a lot of effort, and you know. If if the person doesn't want to bring it to us, there's easier jobs out there. Mm-hmm. This is why, let's say, to to learn some mechanical stuff, and I hope today, just like with the supercharge, just understanding the difference of what a supercharger and a turbocharger is doing, understanding that if someone says, "I've got a car for sale," and the supercharger isn't working that you know that well, it's old, or I've taken it to a garage and they've said that you know we shouldn't drive it because the su- you know a, a supercharger failed. Because it happens with age. Yeah. That's a different story to a blown turbo. Because if a supercharger is on top of an engine and you can see it and you can work on it yourself and then remove it and it yeah. hasn't done any other damage to the engine, which is a critical point here, you take it off, you put all your new belts on at home, strap it all down, check it's all timed, start it up. If you've got an engine that's got blown turbos, um, what's a really good example of that? Range Rover... Sport with a three point six liter diesel engine, right you cannot or at least not without some gymnastics <laughs> get to the turbos if and when they fail because they they're known sort of you know these are turbos on heavy cars one hundred and fifty thousand miles or whatever they'll they'll start to mm-hmm. um well you have to lift the chassis off the the cab off of the that's all right. Yeah, well, if you've got a ramp, that is a... And the thing yeah. is, Land Rover actually did... I know people like to bash Land Rovers, but Land Rover did think about it because they went, well, you know, it's like 12 bolts or something like that. Like, it's not a lot of work to unbolt the cab from the chassis. I will stress, if you're listening to this and you're thinking, oh, that's well, that's just all for the same for Range Rovers. It is not. This is Range Rover Sport, first generation specifically and only. Because yeah. no other Range Rovers of that, the, the big Range Rover of the time, L322, that is not sh- um, chassis on frame. Okay. Yeah. You know? So I, I've seen it. Like, again, we did the L322 buyer's guide and I was looking for, is there anything that I've missed? So I always do this check, you know, I'll go onto the forums and just see if there's anything that, you know, through researching it that have been missed. And the amount of people asking, do I need to lift the chassis off? And the amount of, you, you just see people like, oh, you can't yeah you know they're sort of sick of the question but they know why it's because the sport of the same age you could but again yeah if you had access to the right tools the reason workshops do it is there's two options remove the engine remove the body and the body is you know i wouldn't say a handful but it's not that many bolts and you know you unplug everything yeah and then up it goes The engine is take the whole front of the car off, (laughs) unbolt the whole engine, get a crane, lift it out, and work on it. So it's just for a workshop. They go, oh, it's actually easier for us, and thus cheaper for For you you if we just lift it off. But people get terrified of that. But that's a situation where the turbos are in a position where you're just not able to really get to them. And the same, the problem with the L322 with the same engine is I think one of the turbos you can get to... With the engine in situ, mm-hmm. but the other one just is—you would have to remove the engine, and you can't split the body from the chassis because it's not chassis on a frame. A chassis yeah, on frame. So you definitely don't get one of those. So I was looking at. Of course of my... you were. <laughs> oh, I'll tell you what, a few of them went for absolute bargain price. The thing is, if the engine's good, yeah, but it's... the one you buy, it won't be. Oh, definitely not. <laughs> no, well, it wouldn't be entertaining for our for our channel, would it? No, that's true. Even if I was trying. Because I've tried to buy good cars. Yeah, you have. And, and they're you... usually ones you spend more money on, they actually cost you more yeah. or just break. And Sam's there next to me as he sees me saying to him, this is a good one, I've, I'm spending a bit more. And he, still, and he says the exact same words he says to me as if I was buying a bad car. Which, look, we don't have to buy it, mate. We can go home, it's, it's not... It's like watching someone trying to make toast and they're trying to find the best slice of mouldy bread. Yes. <laughs> yeah. The whole life's mouldy. It's yeah. all covered in fur. Yeah. But... They're still trying to find one. Now, oh, this one's not too bad, though. You know, we could just scrape the bit of mould off this corner. she yeah. should be good to go. Yeah. And I'm sure there's not mould underneath. No, no. No, definitely not. I've looked at the, the, the surface. I've glanced at there's the surface. There's no surface mould. No. No. So it's fine. There might be some deep-rooted mould. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so that's your difference between supercharging and turbocharging. Why, do, uh, why does it not happen? Or Why are superchargers disappearing? It's an efficiency argument because of the way... Uh, Tests are done, particularly emissions tests and fuel economy tests. Uh, turbocharged turbocharged engines come out better on all of the tests. Yeah, real world, uh, I'd say a turbocharger probably still comes out better, but not to the difference that you'd expect. Right. Okay. The, th- the thing is, if you're driving a supercharged engine very sort of slowly and lightly, then you're still using the supercharger because, as I say, it spins off of the engine. So okay. if the engine's spinning at all, and the supercharger spinning. Mm-hmm. With a turbocharger like Sam said, there's always a lag. And what that means is that you need a certain amount of exhaust gases yeah to to be coming out to spin the cold side or to spin the inlet side um at a speed high enough to increase the air going in. I hope that's made a bit of sense, but And what a supercharger is doing, it's actually doing the same sort of thing. It's like a vacuum. It's still sucking air in. It's just the rate it's sucking it in is the rate of the engine speed. Yeah. So if you're just cruising, what actually would be a better answer for supercharged engines, if they could, would be that they could sort of disconnect. Yeah, so you'd almost need the pulley to be able to disconnect. Like a clutch. Yeah. Like a clutch on the the pulley. So if you're just doing 17, you just want to cruise, you can just sort of, you know, a clutch. I think there is a car that does this. Get, you would get a bit of lag then, though, I imagine. Well you've y- got the time it would take it to reconnect. Yes, the reconnection it time. It wouldn't be much. But, but this is where the problem would be. It would be down to the user, wouldn't it? Because you, you couldn't really... You could automate it, but like you say, if you knew you were about to make an overtake, yeah. To, so that you didn't get any lag, you would want a switch that you could sort of say, make sure that it's engaged, mm-hmm. and then go. Whereas if you were waiting on a clutch to do it, it would be like an automatic gearbox. It would think realize what you want to do and then shift down for yeah. you yeah i know i've made that seem a lot longer because dual clutch gearboxes are much quicker but there is still some thinking time because it needs to understand what does the operator want yeah because do. it doesn't know what you want to do all the no. time it's not telepathic no uh even though they're trying to make things have you seen these new systems sam where it scans the road ahead of you oh really yeah and it sort of says there's a hill coming up yeah he's or she's going to want more power when they get to that mm, and i'm not can, sure i want that for my car what it to sort of say probably want to want more power should just get that ready to go and then you're thinking actually you know what i'm going to slow down on that hill yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, whilst going faster yes. because your car is telling you that you need to go faster yeah. um and so because of that reason but the big advantage with supercharged engines and one of the things i would say is if if you know you were listening one of one of the listeners came in and we had a supercharged engine here in our little studio and we sort of were just looking at it with them and you were trying to point out how it all worked yeah i think people would come away with it the understanding they would have would be easier with a supercharger whereas if it was a complex turbo no i think that's fair yeah, yeah because you know can you imagine trying to say someone okay this is the position of the turbo in this car but it's in a different position here. It's the a hot V in this yeah, one. Yeah. And this one here is a twin scroll setup. And you're trying to explain all these different setups of turbocharging. And, you know, some of them are twin turbo with a little turbo because you spool that up faster and the big turbo for more power. It's all a complex way of achieving ultimately the same Yeah, this thing. is the supercharger. This is how it works. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and of course, yeah, it, but that simplicity comes at a cost of some efficiency. But if you look at the life cycle of a car, and this is a really interesting study if you're boring like me yay <laughs> <laughs> but it, the, one of the really interesting things to talk to people about when they are desperate to have their eyes glazed over mm-hmm. is if you were going to own a car and you knew you were going to own it for 100,000 miles work out what the cost would be in fuel and then predict what the cost would be in maintenance for two different spec- you know, uh, engines Okay, yeah, and so you're someone, coming from. someone could say oh I'm going to buy a diesel because I'll get, you know, uh, two thirds on top of the efficiency. So I will save, you know, let's say it was going to cost you two thousand pounds in one car and three and a half thousand just in fuel. So mm-hmm. you're like I'm fifteen hundred pounds up, or fifteen hundred dollars, whatever. Yeah, but or whatever if you've it's. got to replace the turbo, yeah. But if you get a two thousand little bit now, and in a hundred thousand miles, you've got to ask, well, where's the likelihood? And I go back to like Sam and I always go back to, and we always have these conversations. What are they fitting in boats? What are they fitting in planes? Yeah. <laughs> because the reason that you have such, I'll put it as, in, in, it is old technology. In general aviation, piston-powered planes, it is quite old. Like, you've got these massive displacement engines that mm-hmm. churn out very low power because they're trying to make them as least stressed as possible. But there is turboprop, which is what a lot of people have heard of. Yep. Running sort of low pressure and everything else like that, and there are supercharged planes which they've sort of drifted away from for a variety of reasons, but they still exist. And the same with boats. Where where did all of this start? Yeah, and it was marine. That's where you know forced induction basically started. They were like, well, how can we get, how can we keep the efficiency of the engine high, create more power, but not affect longevity? And what we've sort of got to today. Because combustion engines are sort of getting to that point where people are comparing them to a completely different technology, which is electric cars, is we've got to the sort of end of that scale of development and development from that early yeah. doors to now, mm-hmm. where you've got something incredibly complex and uh, complex and in, and from an engineering standpoint, just incredible. The stuff that that's being created today is really incredible. The problem is from a maintenance standpoint. The reason the mechanic is the mechanic and not the engineer is because he wanted to be a mechanic or she wanted to be a mechanic. Yeah. So they didn't go and become an engineer and the complexity that you've now put in is not that easy for them. No, it's making their job a lot more difficult. And so what happens, they quote more time, cost more money. And I, I, I don't know, I always think that there's a certain level to which a lot of subjects people just your average person if you sat down you know with someone who was an expert in something you could take most people to about 70 percent yeah it's that final sort of say 30 percent where people really have to have a bit more understanding about yeah. something you know if you were to talk about oh, economics mm-hmm. you know just because it's something i bore sam with a date all basis. the time yeah <laughs> but sam so I Sam you know, it's if I say, our oh, simple supply and demand." If you've got one, and you if you buy one and you sell one, it's hundred percent, it's equilibrium, it's perfect. It's really simple to understand that. When you start talking about supernormal profit, and you say, "Well, it's called that because you've got no competitor. You've got one person selling, so they can charge whatever they want. So we call it that. And then you have a second competitor, and so what happens? Price becomes competitive. Okay." And- then you go into the like, really complex mathematics as to how central banks work. And you start to lose, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So and I think this is a bit of a step change with a naturally aspirated engine because you're just teaching people. Fuel goes in, air goes in, spark happens in a petrol car. Yeah. An explosion happens, it forces some of the down, mm-hmm. that moves, crankshaft, crankshaft spins another bit, spins another bit, and you move. And then we add a supercharger on top of that and what we do is we put a belt onto that bottom bit that spins and it adds in even more air because you in more air you can add in more fuel and you get a bigger bang which gives you more power. So it, when you start going into then the finer engineering Oh yeah. And so I think that's why in a very long roundabout way <laughs> but I, I hope people can take something away from when we do these when we, when we do these sort of more specialised podcasts, mm-hmm. so this isn't everyone's interest. A lot of people are more interested when I talk about an MGB and Saturn and then I talks do a about quiz. yes <laughs> uh, or a shovel, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you know, now and again we do want to do like we we did our Range Rover history one, and you know, there's there's certain times when it's just it's great to really dig into some of the details of things. Yeah, so I think because superchargers are increasingly that the one thing that could save. A supercharger, ironically, is the exact thing that will likely kill it, which is electric power. Yeah. Because if you could spin, which is technically possible, if you had um, some mild hybrids starting to look at this option. If you just use electric, uh, the electric power coming off of, say, a big hybrid system to spin up a supercharger, then you no longer need it. Be, it does; It's no longer parasitic. Yeah. It yeah. no longer runs off the speed of the engine. Now, it would need a computer to tell it, because obviously, if it just dumped all oh, 100% yeah. of its air in at <laughs> yeah. zero, what, RP, 1,000 RPM, it yeah. would be catastrophic. But, yeah, a computer program, electric motor, and a super. Now, you're building in complexity, which, again, is another problem, but you would have greater efficiency. True. And it's just funny that, as we would probably, if it wasn't for this recent success, you know, the last five years of electric car. Uh, Improvements or, and sales, anything else, mm-hmm. and you know the more mainstream companies. have tr- I think it's sad. Maybe some people don't, but I think it's sad that they've basically just cut all this research. Like it's it's finished. Not yeah. That, I wouldn't. That's unfair. They are still doing this because the world is not going to electric cars. The parts of you know, Western Europe and America are looking more and more strongly like they'll have big markets. China as well. But, but no one's trying to sell a Nissan Leaf in Cambodia. No, you know, for example, uh, or Peru probably. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's going to be parts that's still going to be buying combustion engines for a long, long time yet. It's just that the huge amounts of research and development budget that would probably at this point be saying, okay, we managed to electric turbocharging back on that SQ7 and Mercedes. You know, Mercedes did this hypercar recently. Yeah and they've done a similar thing with electric super, uh, turbo charging so that would probably be where they would be looking at now anyway, they'd be saying if we put bigger and bigger batteries in, they but they would be looking to supplement internal combustion engines and keep pushing them ahead and instead they're just saying why well, don't we get rid of it entirely and put batteries in Yeah, um, and that's sort of creating this different type of technological race interestingly Sam, you'll like this you know how um, the world's heating up, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah. Apparently, there's a billionaire's sort of club of research and searches happening in Greenland. Because the ice sheets melted, Yeah, there's a load of uh, cobalt reserves oh, okay. <laughs> that they can now, for the first time, get to. And they want to build electric car batteries with that cobalt. Lovely. So they're going into an area that was previously untouched. And mm-hmm. mining it to get those out to get. More oh, energy. good. <laughs> I just, thought, I mean, <laughs> nice it, and green. I try, I'm trying to be very down the middle there and not be. Uh, yeah. I, I let Sam do the um the un, views. unsolicited opinions on stuff, but, <laughs> but yeah, just just a how just, idiotic. Just an interesting um point that I saw the other day, and I thought, oh, Sam needs to know that. Yeah. <laughs> what was that one thing? Um, oh, did you, did you talk about uh, there was an F2 car? Is it GP2 or F2? F2. So just a, we'll end with a little bit of news, which was probably a couple of weeks ago for you now. Did you, did you find out? I found out a few details about this. I've read the story on it, so I've probably got the same details as you. Yeah. But it's in uh, Czechia? Czech Republic. Yeah. Well, Czech, yeah. Now, yeah. If you want to be correct. Yeah. Well, the article didn't, because it said the Czech Republic. <laughs> yeah. Oh, interesting. Just in case you don't know, the Czech Republic changed its name to Czechia by a vote. But I then spoke to someone who was from the Czech Republic, or sorry, Czechia, and they were. they said no that the biggest province, or the biggest area, is called Czechia. So when they had the vote, of course, the majority of people that voted were from Czechia, and they voted to change the country name to their county name. Yeah. Which is a bit like having the (laughs) vote... It's like calling (laughs) it Yorkshire. Yes. (laughs) Or London, for the whole of (laughs) England, you know, because you'd have the biggest number of people there. But anyway, uh, it's a second time. Yeah. but but, uh, But they couldn't catch him the first time because he was wearing a helmet. Yes. Which I think is brilliant. But he wasn't, like, weaving through traffic. No, no, it's, it's still all... massively illegal and dangerous. But I mean, you're in a non. I think there's two views I have of it. You're in a. It's not a road legal car. You're on a motorway. You've been filmed doing it, and what will doubtlessly happen is someone not in Czechia, but someone in the UK, no doubt, someone in Wales probably, and they'll bring the speed limit down to ten miles an hour. Yeah, it was thirty. <laughs> we want it to twenty. Now we want it to ten. Because because something happened somewhere else, but I saw it on social media, which means it's a problem for me because someone yeah. shouted about it. So it, from that side, I'm, I'm a bit annoyed that they've done it because whenever they do these sort of things, unfortunately, people just run out who are, don't, you know, and they they overreact. On the flip side, funny <laughs> to, to to do it once and be like, "Cause did you see in the clip? There's a Bugatti Chiron yeah behind it, and do you know what the funny thing was? Someone commented saying, um oh, that'll be that guy who ran down the uh, autobahn, autobahn in his Chiron because he was a Czech billionaire. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And someone was like, no, it's a different person. It's another Czech billionaire yeah. who owns, who a, owns Chiron. a Chiron. <laughs> so, <I don't laughs> know. loads of them just going around. I don't know what's happening in Czechia, but they've got an industry <laughs> that I want to get in on because there <laughs> yeah. seems to be a load of people driving around in Chirons <laughs> and, and Formula 2 cars yeah. just down the motorway. It's so, um, like a great place to move to. So the ending result of this podcast is move to Czechia i think so yeah. yeah or at least uh yeah go on holiday there and yeah. re- rent a car because i can imagine from what i've understood See now, some great like, sites like an rs4 or something oh <laughs> yeah. yeah sorry sir we we've only got the economy we're out of f2 cars today <laughs> <laughs> we've only got the economy vehicles so the choices are ferrari f50 Yep. um or we a porsche <laughs> carrera gt yes <laughs> we have got the new gt3 rs yeah but you Know, I'm sure you don't want that. You know, it, it, it won't be as fast as the F2 car. I'm no. very, very sorry. <laughs> and you just put this face, it's okay. Well, I understand. I understand. Turn around to your wife and say, You can come with me now. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's the podcast for today. I hope if you've got any questions and things that I haven't covered or I haven't covered them well enough, just um, pop a message in to if you do it on so the miles driven Facebook, it will go to Sam and Sam will then jot it down and no doubt bring it to one of our podcasts yep if you send it onto instagram it will come through to me and i'll probably just send you a message saying thanks for that and then i'll bring it up on the podcast because unfortunately a lot of my time gets taken up doing all of the editing stuff and i yeah. see people send something in and i really want to send them a nice you know thanks for the you know, thanks for the message and blah blah but there is so many minutes and hours in the day so if you can uh, send it over to sam he's got buckets of time this is true <laughs> Uh, thanks for listening everyone and we shall um, we'll catch you oh sorry Sam did you want to add anything I always like to try and catch you at the end no just in case just in case you've been searing and waiting there for something no nearly still no definitely not okay thanks for listening everyone we shall uh, we'll catch you next time see ya